Podcast 001, Listener Questions and Saving Energy. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so uh, we're getting started. We are. Have we had our coffee? We're ready to go? I, I, I thought the coffee was a little weak. Oh, Darn, sorry. <laughs> all right, all right. So um, <clears throat> I, I guess we should start off by uh, saying who, who we are. Okay, I'm Jocelyn Campbell. And, and you've got jocelynsevents.com. I do. So it's a, a Puget Sound calendar of uh, of cool eco-workshops and stuff. That's right. Yeah. And, of course, we have... I am, I am, I am Paul, Lord of the Jungle. <laughs> What jungle? Oh, oh, okay. So, so currently I'm between jungles at the moment. <laughs> uh, I'm working on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, this podcast. This is my first ever solo podcast, and um, I put up all kinds of barriers for doing this. And man, what an army of people turned out to remove all the barriers. Uh, first, a whole. Uh, um, uh, tons of encouragement from a bunch of different people. Jack Spurko put the idea out there, and we had some other people suggesting it even before Jack in, it put me on his podcast for the first time. And then after Jack's podcast with me in it, then um, I've received at least 25 people asking me to make my own podcast. And then out of those 25, there were two that that really put a lot of motivation into me. Um, one of them was really emphatic about how he's been using Permies for a very long time, and I recognized his name from Permies, and um, and that basically people trust me. They trust my opinion on stuff. And as I think about that, I kind of think, like, you know, that's... I know, like, when I go and buy food at a grocery store, I trust Whole Foods to have, like, to be much closer to where I'm comfortable with buying food. You might have just lost some people with that. Some it's people possible. don't like Whole Foods. <laughs> but but it's like I, I, I can kind of understand because like even even if you go and read scientific research on something, a lot of a lot of funny business is going on the research, and then you know it's like oh we proved this. No, you didn't. You didn't. And and for almost every research where I've gone down to the nitty gritty and looked into it, it's like shenanigans, shenanigans. So it's, it's hard to figure out who to trust. And so, of course, naturally, I trust me. So if somebody else stands up and says, <laughs> says, I trust you, I want you to tell me stuff, well, I totally understand that. And so I, 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 I support their cause there. But then, no, because that was one. And then the other one was, um, was a woman who said something like, you know what, just take a recording contraption, stick it in your pocket, and, and while you're out there in the garden doing anything, just talk. Just keep talking while you're, I want to hear that. I want to hear about whatever. And I'm, so I'm thinking, okay, expectations are at about zero. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and on top of that, the other thing about the trust, I, so it's like, okay, all right. And then, so then I started saying, well, <sighs> I got to figure out how to do it. I don't really have time to figure out how to do it. Um, a bunch of people said that they would take on, um, a lot of the jobs that I do every day with a lot of my material. If, and that thus freeing me up for the podcast. So, um, uh, I guess that's an important thing. If you're listening to this podcast, you gotta, there, there is a price tag on it. You've, you've gotta make a link to it 
from something or a link to something of mine. At least one link. Post a video. Uh, link them on your Facebook page, on your blog, on your website. It's, it's easy and quick. Right. So, uh, yeah, so to add something to Facebook, uh, um, uh, Twitter is good. Um, I, I think StumbleUpon's a big one. And and the, for me, the big one is is that I am uh, I'm trying to to kind of withdraw from Reddit, and so I've been a big fan of Reddit for a long time, and um, and and it does take up a fair bit of my time when I get involved in discussions out there and stuff like that. And so a lot of people are saying that they're going to handle that for me. So if if if, I, if people submit my stuff out to Reddit, that makes me happy and it makes me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feel free to, to do other stuff. And then finally, I was, the, the, the last barrier was, um, uh, you know, tinkering with the software, but, but it's like, oh, you know what? I just don't feel like turning on a microphone and talking into it for an hour. And then Jocelyn fixed that. <laughs> and, and so Jocelyn said that, that it's like, okay, she'll, she'll, that I'll talk to her, which, and so then, and then, and then you went and did a whole bunch of other, you started taking on all, like you, you made a list of things that people want to talk about. You started taking care of all these other little things. So now all I got to do is show up and, and talk. And, and I, I, I don't have an excuse left. <laughs> <laughs> it's handled. So what are we talking about today? All right. <clears throat> well, the primary talk, topic that we're going to get to here in a little bit is going to be um, about my experiments this winter. And, and I think we could talk about the last two winters with um, heating with, with electricity. Now, of course, I, I've got my Wafati design, which is a building design that requires no heat. And then, of course, we've got um, the rocket mass heaters, where you can heat your home with, um, you know, just the trimmings from your yard. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people that live in apartments, or they're renting, and they don't have a wood stove. They don't have, you know, these options are not available to them. And and then, um, you know, what can you do to, to, to get by with less? And, and, and it kind of... You know, uh, while, while these are things that I've been experimenting with for years, um, the thing that really got me to the point that it's like, damn it, I've got to make a point, is that I saw a newsletter from the electric company that said, you know, the best return on investment for saving energy is fluorescent light bulbs. And, and I just got so angry at reading that. That I knew I had to do something about it because I I, I really I think that that's a, a a big steaming pile of horse potatoes right there, okay. and and so um, we're not going to get into it now. Yep, that's true. I'm no, no no. I was just going to say besides electricity experiments, are we going to touch on the two topic yeah. requests we've had towards the end after talking about electricity? No no no. I I think I think um uh we'll get to the electrical electricity stuff you know uh, a little bit later okay um and so i'm just there were, there were things that motivated me and so i i did my experiments and i've got a lot to report i was able to so far cut 80 percent off of my heating bill and um and and i we just finished february and um i i'm looking forward to getting the the, the bill should arrive in about two or three days and then i'll know whether i cut 90 percent off my February bill. I think I might have been able to cut ninety percent off, mm-hmm. um, but but anyway, uh, uh, we'll come to that. In a, I don't know a little bit later. For now, we've got uh, we, we posted out on Permies in the Tinkering Forum, and that's the forum where we uh, uh, take care of we, we we move towards my personal world domination efforts, uh, and 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 people there are uh, helping me to manage all kinds of aspects of my websites and stuff like that. Um, 
But uh, in there, we said, okay, who has any questions for the first podcast? And so we had two questions. What's the first one? The first one was from Michael, and he is in uh, Pennsylvania, I believe. And he <clears throat> likes the idea of the uh, paddock shift system for chickens. Um, but he's wondering how you do that with wintering over chickens and what are good winter forage ideas for chickens. Okay, that, that is an excellent question, a really fantastic question. And, and I, I could probably do an entire show just on that question. So I'll try and skim over it and, and try. So first we of all. We should do an entire show on chickens. That, I think that'd be an excellent. Well, I could podcast. do an entire show just talking about chickens in winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and so, so maybe we'll yeah. do that at, at, at yeah. some point, but let's, let's try and, and get a little bit of information going this way for now. Um, and so of course he's referring to my article, uh, at richsoil.com. That's the, uh, uh raising chickens 2.0, no more coop and run. And, uh, um, uh, basically with, with that article, um, uh, which is a massive, massive article, I, I advocate, um, something uh, like a paddock shift system where, uh, you'll put your, uh, uh chickens into, uh, an area for, um, uh, a little while and then you move them to another area and then move them to another area. So, so usually they'll be in an area for like maybe a week to 10 days. And then um, that area will get at least 28 days of rest in between visits from chickens. Um, and of course, in the wintertime, it's a little bit different. Uh, and and uh, uh, first of all, I want to say that, you know, the, the natural habitat for a chicken is the jungle. So there so really is no wintertime. There's there's the, uh, the rainy season and the drier season. Uh, so they're not naturally a, a, a cold weather animal. Um, however, turkeys, wild turkeys are, and, and there's a lot of similarities. And so chickens, chickens do fine in, in such extreme cold areas. And, but then of course, you know, we do need to, 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 you know, try and give them something better. Um, I think that, uh, one of the best things to do, and I think I've got a whole thread, um, permies that's, that's focused on, uh, different kinds of things that you can plant that would provide winter feed. And, and it goes into a lot of detail. Um, and, and that's going to be a great place to check on that. And that would be in the Critter Care Forum? Critter Care Forum, right. Yeah. The, Critter, the Critter Care Forum at Permies. Um, and um, <clears throat> off the top of my head, I've got two really great feeds. Oh, three. I mean, well, but I, I, I want to say, of course, Sepp Holzer does this. And um, while Sepp will say uh, that uh, um, he doesn't feed his chickens at all, all year long. The, the, the chickens will, will forage for themselves all year long. And, he, and, of course, he plants tons of stuff for the chickens and does the paddock shift stuff and everything like that. When I talk to his son, Yosef, uh, 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 he says that, oh, maybe about 12 days out of the year, it gets so cold, everything's like frozen solid, and they'll throw some food out for the chickens. And then what they do is that during the harvest season, they'll pick out some chicken food stuffs that, that, that can be stored, such as grains, and, uh, and, and set those aside, thinking about those 12 days in the winter where they'll actually put a little something out for the chickens. Uh, uh, but, uh, let's, so I think it's, I think, let's, you know, let's stick with what Yosef says there. Let's, let's put a little something aside for the chickens, but we don't have to try and, Go out there and harvest a full year's worth. Um, I think a, a, a two, you know, a few good examples. Uh, oh, and one more thing that Sepp says is, um, <laughs> I 
This is really gross, so be prepared. If you're eating, you want to set down your fork. <laughs> Good morning. Good yeah, morning. yeah. Here it comes. You ready? So, uh, so he, Seb says he likes to put the chickens into the pigs. And that the chickens follow the pigs around, and every once in a while, a pig generates a warm meal for the chickens. And um, I don't know if I really like that idea. I'm not sure if pig manure is like a really good thing to feed chickens. I know that cow manure is... Herb, which is more herbivore, not the omnivore stuff. Right. Uh, you, yeah. you know, in fact, I, I read something somewhere that, that it's like, um, <laughs> that actually uh, cow pie is like one of the best things in the world to ever feed a pig. It's like the, the ultimate pig food. It's it's like loaded with a lot of the right kinds of nutrients and stuff like that for feeding to pigs. And pigs love it. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I just I just thought it was kind of bizarre and interesting. Uh, in the meantime, I suppose chickens might kind of pick through that and stuff, but it doesn't strike me as good chicken food. I, I like the idea of chickens having a buffet to choose from. And so if they're presented with a bunch of other foods and then they like to have that pig poop, well, I guess, you know, there must be something good in there for them. It must maybe and Sep must be right. And Sep is almost always right. Um so uh uh I, yeah, maybe. All right, so back to what to plant. Uh, I, I like winter keeper apples. I think planting uh, uh, lots and lots of apple trees in your paddocks is good, especially winter keepers, because a lot of times those winter keeper apples, they'll stay on the tree deep into winter, and then they fall off. So then if you uh, rotate them through the paddock, then the chickens will find these apples on the ground, and and then uh, they'll they'll eat them. They'll eat them, and especially as they start to so soften up later in the winter. Um, another good one is uh, so Seb's got this kind of grain that he raises, uh, so that where the it's eight feet tall, but tall grains, grains that that are on a tall stalk. The chickens will learn that if they uh, push the stalk over, they can get the grain to come to the ground, and then they'll eat that grain. So basically, it's like. Uh, as long as it's up on the stalk, it it keeps itself dry enough, and it'll stay up there on the stalk uh, for uh, you know throughout most of the winter, and then the chickens can go in there and harvest that. Another great one is Jerusalem artichokes. Uh, the, uh, the 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 chickens will scratch, and they'll expose the tubers, and then they'll they'll be able to peck chunks off of the tubers. Um, and, uh, it'll, it'll look like, uh, it suffered from some sort of drive-by shooting, but, uh, but it'll be there. It'll be fine. Um, I, and then of course, if you've got a plethora of life going on, I mean, there'll be, there'll be mice still active in the wintertime and the, the chickens will, will catch the mice and eat the mice. I mean, that's where they'll get a lot of their protein. I think, you know, protein's a big one. Um, all right. So there's, so I've said all that you could still do a good paddock shift system with, with chickens. However, I would also, you know, another thing to keep in mind are issues involving uh, compaction of the soil. If you, uh, for a lot of paddock shift systems, um, you've, you've got to be a, a little bit worried about, uh, um, like, for, for your ruminants, for your bigger animals. If you put them out on, on soil that's kind of muddy, they can pack it. I don't think there's much concern with that with chickens. But you're walking out there to go get the chickens. I mean, if it's muddy and you're going to splort, splort, splort as you walk along, you are compacting your soil. And it's muddy like that. It's very sensitive. And then you can pack it down so that 
so that air and water will have difficulty getting in there after it dries. And and so um, uh, it's not a good idea to be walking around in that wrecking your soil. So, um, I mean, if you've got it set up so that, you know, your water is well managed and things and there's not that kind of thing happening, I think you're going to be okay. But uh, another thing is, and, and, and uh, uh, Jocelyn and I got video of this, what, about a month ago, where a gal um, was doing deep bedding. Now, deep bedding is a, is a common thing to do. I, I really hate the idea of anybody having to ever clean a coop. I mean, if you've done it, it's it's horrible, nasty work. And And on top of that, I really don't like the idea of any chicken at any time ever having to... Um, um, stay somewhere where it smells as horrible as most coops get to get before people start cleaning them. And uh, I like the idea of a portable coop. Um, now, so what a lot of people will do is what is what they refer to as deep bedding, um, where it's like, okay, so rather than cleaning the coop, they just keep throwing more and more carbon in there, and, and it makes like a big, deep compost pile, and then it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and then, you know, by the end of winter, you might have a coop where you've got things three feet deep in there. Um, an alternative would be that you could have a portable coop and then you could make a deep bed uh, and then um, and then move the coop. So you're not cleaning the coop, you're just moving the coop off of this, this deep bedding. Uh, with the deep bedding, there's generally uh, no smell uh, because the carbon is so high in the, in the soil that it absorbs all of that. So that's that's great. Yay. What Monica showed us is she felt the evergreen boughs worked better than any other carbon source. Better than straw, better yeah. than wood chips. Yeah. Um and and so we've got video of that and mm-hmm. I need to cobble that video together and get it up, get it mm-hmm. uploaded. I think that mm-hmm. that was that was some really good information. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, so I've probably gone over my time for that one. Yeah, we're um well let's go on to Kane's question. He is wondering why you keep saying you prefer to build soil inland. And and uh, he would just like to understand that better. Okay. <clears throat> and this could be a whole other topic, too, where you'd like to bring in Helen Atal, right? Yes. Yes. Helen and I were talking about that just recently. Um, but, but Kane, is, is he the guy that was at, that, at the Permaculture Convergence last year? He had with the blog and yeah. that awesome picture of me. Paul Wheaton tolerates questions from the audience. <laughs> yes, and we actually had dinner with him. Yeah, so he's a great guy. I well, once I saw that picture, I, I thought, <laughs> awesome. I like, I like this guy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, um, having having soil, and I mean, first of all, you know, uh, and 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 I think that this is one of those issues where. Um, most people, when I talk to them, uh, they they say, and, and this is where they, they say I'm wrong. They say that this is errant, this is wrong. That that no, it's it isn't so. And I, I, it would be great to make a video with probably Helen to talk about this very thing, so that way it might add some validity to this position. And we should probably say Helen is uh, an extension agent. Uh, Helen Atow, goddess of the soil, and and it's like for years she's hated it when I say that, and and then and now I think she kind of hates it and kind of likes it. <laughs> good, good. So so she's coming she's coming around. But um, mm-hmm. uh, fifteen years ago when I did my master gardener training, she's the gal that taught me, and 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 now she's contributed to a lot of books, a lot of scientific research in agriculture. 
um, wow, the stuff that she's done in composting is like um, two orders of magnitude beyond anything I've ever done. And, I mean, like, she has a laboratory set up where she's got, like, um, uh, she, she, she grows her own uh, organisms for her compost, and yeah. then she, uh, anyway, I can go so, on and on. Yeah, Helen's, we'll do a show. You should interview her for a yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we should probably do five or six podcasts with her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, um, all right. <clears throat> Moving on. Whoa. Now, hell, I forgot the question. <laughs> uh, from Kane and, and why you prefer oh, inland. Oh, inland, inland. All right. So. And what is inland? I, that's, oh, that's a simple a, question. But. All right. So here, so, so normally I'll be podcasting from Montana, but we're on our way to a big trip. We're going to go and do a whole bunch of stuff. So at the moment, I, I'm in the Seattle area. And, um, and so the Seattle area is, not inland. Can we call it outland? <laughs> <laughs> Some um, people might call it that. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we're in the we're in the the Puget Sound area, um, and uh, um, uh, if you try to grow things here, then uh, and you try to build organic matter. I mean, uh, there's there's issues. Uh, one is is that. Um, uh, and compared to inland, like in Montana. So when, when I think inland, I think the other side of the Cascades. Now, of course, people listening in Europe or the East Coast or whatever, I mean, you know, you've still got your, your uh, inlands and you've got your, your coastal areas. And, and whenever you're, you're near the coast, then your, your climate's, um, you know, uh, more moderate. It, it's going right. to be, um, uh, it doesn't get as cold, it doesn't get as hot, it's, uh, you know, less extreme. Um, but, uh, 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 here in the Seattle area, um, uh, they get 30 inches of rain a year, um, and it it, uh, it will drop below freezing. Uh, I think the coldest I've ever heard of it getting here is maybe like 10 degrees. And that's very, very rare. Very I mean, rare. We set records if we go into the teens, and we may only do that a couple days of the winter. It's not... Uh, a lot of our winter can be 40 to 50 degrees in right. the wintertime. So I remember something yeah. about how it used to be that um, it would snow once every five years, and then there was a time when it snowed five times in one year, and, and it was like shut the whole city down. They just were not prepared for that. Uh, right. So, um, uh, not real winters in the temperate climate. Right, and yeah. this is and this is you know you can ha- have examples of this in Europe as well as the East Coast as mm-hmm. well as uh, um, I'm I'm guessing Asia. Uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of similar kind of stuff. So, so inland is going to be uh, where it's going to be colder. Um, so here, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stick with, uh, let's talk about the Seattle area, and we're, we're going to call that coastal-ish. And then we'll talk about Missoula, Montana, which is where I'm working to set up shop now. And um, we'll compare these two. Um, and, and so here in the Seattle area, moister. Um, uh, but not that moist. I mean, Seattle gets 30 inches of rain a year. And, and so a lot of people kind of get this idea of, like, it's always raining. Well, 30 inches is not that much. I mean, a rainforest, I mean, there's, there's the whole rainforest that's to the west over on the peninsula. And I think it's something like 260 inches a year. So, you know, 30 is not that much. And then plus east of Seattle, just a little bit as you're getting towards the Cascades, the, the norm is pretty much double the rainfall of Seattle, so uh, 60 inches a year. Yeah, Seattle is a lot of gray drizzle. Right. Yeah. It, it, a lot of cloudy days. 
not that much rain, right. actually. It's right, just, very light rains. We don't, yeah. Yeah. A lot of drizzly rains. Yeah. So, and then at the same time, still, in the summer, in fact, usually, they'll get, Seattle will get less rain in the summer than Missoula gets. And Missoula has about 13 inches of rain a year, and it's technically mountain desert. But, um, uh, all right, so I'm wandering off the topic. I'm going to come back. And then, uh, but the tropical areas, these areas typically have no soil, none, zero, none. So, uh, and a lot of people are, don't believe that. I'll, I'll tell them that. And it's like, no, that's not true. Oh, yes, it is. Animal comes along, drops a deuce right on the ground, walk, keeps on walking. That poop is gone typically in 24 hours. Because there's so much microbial activity in the soil. And the organic matter is in the, the plant life. You know, and, and then they're not in soil, they're, they're in, they're in dirt. It's dirt. It's not soil. Dirt. It's, there's like almost, there, there's almost zero organic matter in the dirt. So, uh, it's more cementy. So active, it's just gets used up right. constantly. Right. All the, all the micro critters, there's just so many skillions of them that, that, yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna consume all organic matter instantly, all decaying mat organic matter instantly. And it's, and while that's not the same here, it's, it's close. It's closer. Mm -hmm. So now, um, <clears throat> if I were to build a hugelkultur bed here, in, in the Seattle area, um, it would uh, be gone about four times faster than if I were to build one in the Missoula area. So that's one. So this is one reason. It's just if you build organic matter here, even though you're not, you don't have a growing season for half of the year or more. You can't grow anything because it's too cold. Mm -hmm. The or the 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 micro critters are still uh, working it over and decomposing it, even though you're not growing anything. So the freeze, the harder. Colder winters in Missoula stop that activity. Correct. Okay. Correct. Everything goes dormant in the winter. So as long as you're not growing anything, everything's on hold. And it'll mm -hmm. wait. And if you do anything to improve your soil, that's going to last four times longer inland. Now, uh, another great thing is, is uh, cloud cover. So a lot of people in Seattle struggle with raising tomatoes. And um, uh, now I, I was here for uh, a while, and I raised awesome tomatoes. Um, but, you know, um, I'm not most people. And so, <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> so uh, um, a, a lot of people can't seem to really get red tomatoes here. And it, and it has a lot to do with, like, uh, um, uh, uh, with cloud cover. And, um, you know, and plus there's just so many trees here. Uh, and so the people are having a hard time finding a spot to grow a garden that gets, I mean, I've seen so many people like, oh, come look at my garden, come look at my garden. And it's like, wow, you're trying to raise a garden and you get maybe two hours of direct sunlight per day, which for some crops is okay, but not for tomatoes. And you want all day sun for your tomatoes. And, uh, um, and people are struggling with that because of all the trees that are here. Um, so there's that. There's also um, so much humidity in the air. There's a lot of fungus. So there's a lot more fungal problems. Uh, whereas in Montana, the tomato season is over when we get our first frost or our first hard frost. If you've done raised beds, you can go a little bit longer. Um, uh, but here in the Seattle area, uh, the, the tomato season is over when they get hit by blight. Yeah. 
You know, they, they usually around the end of August, all the tomatoes are wiped out by blight. So those are additional reasons you prefer inland farming or growing food, uh, not just soil tilt issues. Right. Those are I mean, just additional issues why you prefer inland. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm still going. So, so, I mean, like, I think there's a list of reasons to do it inland okay. instead of... Now, uh, I'll do... I'll have the same conversation with Helen. Mm-hmm. And now Helen's being charmed by the idea of... Um, uh, there's a place up in British Columbia... And she's thinking that she wants to move there and do stuff. And I'm, and I'm kind of thinking, what are you nuts? <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I think it would be great for, uh, for her and I to kind of, you know, hash this one out a little bit. But, but now, okay. So, uh, I've, I've mentioned the cloud cover. I've mentioned the soil microorganisms not going dormant in the winter. Um, I've mentioned, uh, extra fungal issues and, right. and there's extra, uh, oh, uh, um, in, I was going to say insects. You know, different kinds of parasites and stuff like that. But another great one, slugs. <laughs> slugs. Those are the bane of the garden. Uh, gardens right. here, if, yes. If you don't have a slug mitigation thing going on when you set up your garden, you're yeah. not going to have a garden. Right. I, I mean, uh, and, and it's like I talk to people and, and they go out and they'll spend a half an hour or more every day plucking slugs. And I kind of think to myself... I don't like touching slugs ever. Now I have. I mean, we've got videos of me like, and here's my handful of slugs. Look at how my hand is covered in slug slime. Yeah, you fed fed it to a pig, fed it to a chicken. I've I've fed yep. it to geese. I fed it to yep. ducks. I fed. Yep, yep. So I'm out there, you know, getting grappling with the slugs for the benefit of you. I do it for you people out there listening to my podcast. The sacrifices I make having to wash slug, slug slime off of my damn hands. <laughs> and it takes hours until that stuff's gone. It's hot, yeah. Man, yeah. that's amazing. There's got to be like, somebody's got to come up with an industry yeah. <laughs> where you feed slugs in and out comes some awesome product. Because yeah. yeah. boy, here in the Seattle area, do they have an abundance of slugs. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um... Hence all the videos that I have out about that. And you know what? I, I have like 10 times more footage I haven't uploaded yet. Yeah. Yeah, the the recent one about the uh, snake habitat to help with slugs is a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. All right. So now I've probably covered enough reasons to kind of, you know, keep Kane a little bit happy for now. Uh, yeah. I think you we'll went through a list. And we'll do more yeah. later. We'll do like a mm-hmm. whole a whole podcast on mm-hmm. that. All right. So we should move into your electricity experiments. And, and you've posted about this out of Permis in the Alternative Energy Forum. Correct? Right. So there's a thread called Making the Best of Electric Heat. Uh-huh. So um, I, I, and it's like, uh, uh, well, I'm trying to think of like when I first started fooling with this, um, probably about five or six years ago, five years ago, five years ago, I, I was doing some experiments and my life is constant experimenting. I mean, I've, I've always got at least a dozen experiments going at the same time. And, uh, and so five years ago or so, I was, uh, experimenting with intentional community. I was living with, uh, like 10 other people under one roof. And one of the things that we agreed to, well, and, and I don't know, I've agreed to might be a strong thing, but one of the things that we ended up doing collectively was that we set the temperature in the house to be 50. And then it was pretty much agreed that each person could have a personal heater in their room. 
uh, and that uh, they can use it for like a couple of hours. And then um, uh, we ended up uh, spending about ten bucks a month per person on heat. That's amazing, really. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Then, and if we wanted to warm up, which we did, we did have a little fireplace, and we went through uh, less than one quart of wood uh, that winter. And then um, I'd say every two or three days, we would build a fire, and we'd all gather around the fire, and people had instruments and played music and and stuff like that, and and some people, you know, just worked and. But yeah, usually we all got together and visited a little bit around the fire <clears throat> every few days. So I, I thought that that worked out really well. And that was just nothing more than a personal heater. And so that was some pretty big savings there. Um, and then, uh, I think it was the winter before this winter, um, I, uh, uh, did something where I used heating pads, the heating pads that come with, um, I did this. Yeah, no, okay. So yeah, the heating pads that you use, like if you've got a sports injury or back ache or whatever. Right. Uh, um, and so I got a couple of those. I would put one at my feet and one under my butt. And uh, they would draw about 25 watts a piece. And then the idea was that I would heat my core and and instead of heating the whole room. And And that reminds me of the... Conductive heat benefits of a rocket stove mass heater. So when we took um, that workshop together, they talked a lot about the convective heat versus radiant heat versus conductive heat. And so I'm curious if that might be part of what inspired the heating pads use. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I The amount that I learned at that workshop was tremendous. I mean, I, you know... And, and, uh, uh, I mean, what, what a, what a fortuitous event, uh, to go to that. And they had five instructors there at the same time because they're kind of like, and now here we are. We're about to go there. We got invited. Yeah. We got invited to go back because of our research, uh, in this space. Awesome. This is <coughs> so exciting. Your research. But so, so you decided to do conductive heat instead of trying to heat all the air, which would be called convective heat. You're right. doing such a good job of keeping me on track because <laughs> I will, I will so wander off into the weeds and talk about whatever pops into my head. Way to go! Um, <clears throat> yes, yes, they they put all kinds of amazing stuff into my head, which then mixed with all these other things, got me to thinking. Well. You know, the, the heating that most people use in their homes is convective heat. This is where you, you heat the air and then that heats you. And, and, uh, this is by far the least efficient and, uh, form, form of, uh, heat. Hot air rises. Hot air, yeah. And so, um, uh, and it's so much richer than that too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's so, um, uh, I want to say volatile, but volatile is not really the word. It's so transitory. It's so temporary. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, uh, I mean, the other thing is, is like you go and you open the door to your house and it's like it just tours out. And then the other thing is, in order, order for it to work effectively, you, you need to end up basically living in a Ziploc bag. You need to kind of, and even that doesn't really work right. either. I mean, And there's health issues with that. 
Lots of oh, health right. issues with that. That could be a whole program too, but that's that's for a whole other thing. Somebody else. <laughs> I thought it was funny uh, uh, how we've we've been to houses now where they are required to have a fan that comes on every hour or so to exchange the air. To, to exchange air so you don't mm-hmm. die in your house. Yeah. Which which oh man that is I I I'm, I I'll I'll get all angered up here just thinking about it. All right. So heating pads, heating pads, <laughs> that kind of thing. All right. So we're talking. To, so so there, there's the uh, convective heat. The the most efficient is the kind where it's conductive heat, and that's where something is warm, like a water bottle. You have one of those water bottles that's warm, or they put the boiling water. And people used to go to bed, and they go to bed with a little hot water bottle. And uh, and that's and so here it is. I mean, if you think about it, there's not a lot of heat in that. But you hold it next to you, and it warms you a lot. And so that's that's conductive heat, the most efficient kind of heat transfer. And then there's radiant heat, and that's what we get from the sun. Um, and uh, or or if we're at a campfire, and it's like if you're standing at a campfire, it's like your front side gets warm, but your backside gets cold. Mm-hmm. And then you're like you're you're like you know. Treating yourself like a skewer as you spin in little circles, warming your butt, then warming your front. Warming your butt, warming your front. And there's those heat disc uh, heaters, too. Like the you know the ones you, you buy for your shop sometimes or whatever. You walk past in Costco. Yeah, yeah. Those Ooh, that radiant. felt so warm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and so now this is this is actually far more efficient than, than any kind of um, uh, convective heat. Uh, and so, um, uh, the thing is, is I, so I started doing experiments because part of the thing is with the heat pad experiments, my fingers would get cold. Now, you know, I should qualify all of this too, because some people are going to say, oh, you get yourself all, you know, uh, um, uh, calloused, you know, and, and you can tolerate this cold stuff, you know, and you're, you're, you're toughen up. And, uh, and it's, and so I want to say, uh, no, <laughs> I I remember um, visiting you uh, as I came to the Puget Sound area to do a bunch of stuff uh, a while back, and um, and you went off to your day job, and I stayed behind and worked on my little web empire. And the temperature in here, you have a thermo, you have a thermos, therm, thermometer right over there. Yes. And um uh and it said sixty five and and it's like I was wearing three shirts and I was fully dressed and everything wearing lots of layers and at sixty five degrees and my fingers were getting stiff I was going crazy with the cold I was very uncomfortable and I was debating with myself about like well maybe I shouldn't turn the heat up because Jocelyn of course is trying to you know so I ended up turning up the heat. And thinking, sure. I'll just turn it back down before Jocelyn gets back. <laughs> She'll never know. No problem. So, so I, I ended up turning up the heat. So I got it up to seventy in here in order to be comfortable while I'm working. So, so the point is, I'm a wuss. <laughs> it's got to be warm. I, I think part of it is is just getting older. I, I can't. I. Well, and I think there's an interesting uh, math thing. Well, and when you're not being active, when you're sitting at a computer, you're not generating a lot of body heat. So it is hard to stay warm. True. So, um, but I think the math is kind of interesting in that um, I never would have thought the idea of a personal heater 
which is still, a lot of those are still convective, where they blow the air, warm air at you, or the idea of the little heating pads and stuff. I haven't done the math on the kilowatts, and you've done a lot of the kilowatt hour math, that that's far cheaper than running a heater for the whole room, and I, you know, or the whole house. You know, the idea of heating your small space. And I think the pictures you did, the illustrations on your thread, making the best of electric heat, illustrate that visually. And then and then I think the idea of, of you know, you were saying, what, 25 watts for those heating pads, the different wattage. I, you know, I never would have thought of the math behind that. Right. And, and of course, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little math crazy. Um, although anything beyond algebra is like not my strong suit, but algebra, I live and breathe algebra like all day long, every day, word problems come and go by the minute. Um, and, and of course that comes, a lot of that comes from my uh, background with, with software engineering that I did years ago. And that it's, it's like, uh, uh, oh, <clears throat> oh I, I just have to say this. One of my proudest moments is when I worked at digital globe and we did an algorithm to determine, uh, the number of square kilometers in a polygon uh, with respect to the curvature of the Earth. Um, I came up with the algorithm in 10 minutes, and um, uh, and it replaced an algorithm that took a team of people a week to develop. And my algorithm was used for years. It might still be in use today. I'm, I'm not sure to, to charge people. And, and these are the images that are currently used in Google Google Maps, the satellite imagery or the the, the, the Google Earth stuff. But I, I'm not sure if it's still being used or not. That was so long ago. That was in 1999 or so. Um, so but, you're a geek. So Thank I'm a, I'm a math geek. <laughs> there you go. So I'm I'm crazy about the math, and I'm doing math on everything all the time. The and and then and you know a lot of people could doubt a lot of the stuff I say. But the bottom line is is that right now, based on you know getting the power bill from you know it says okay a, a year ago. The person in that house used this much power. And and then now, this month, you used this much power. And so when you run the math, I have so far cut the heating bill by 80%. And I've got all the numbers up on that thread. Then, of course, I do. I looked at the, at the math. It, with the experiment from five years ago, and we're getting it down to about $10 per person. I mean, we are living in a community. Everything is going to be way cheaper when you do anything community-wise, community-esque. And, and so um, there was that. But heating, it, heating <clears throat> one house for 10 people is much more cost-effective than heating one house for one or two people. True. Just right there. Just right. right there. That's just much more uh, cost-effective. So when people start talking about, you know, their, their footprint and, 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 you know, the, I don't even think you should talk about carbon footprint so much. A lot of people are very concerned about that. I, I kind of think about like energy footprint, um, or, or even just expenses, just money, you know, and I, and I, so much of all of the carbon issues and all the energy issues and all the pollution issues are tied up in dollars. How much does it cost? And if you just focus on saving money, 90% of the time, Right. That's that's the whole that's the thing. Well, and p part of what inspired this, you said, is 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 a lot of debates about compact fluorescent light bulbs <laughs> versus incandescent. <laughs> well, and and really, what you inspired me to do uh, two years ago was instead of changing out my light bulbs, was to stop using my dryer. I mean, if you just All think right. about the energy use of a dryer compared to lights, 
and um, and the dishwasher. So I started washing dishes by hand, which has saved water and electricity. And I started hang drying most of my clothes, and that cut 40% off my power bill right there. And that's uh, without any of these other heat experiments where you're heating the person instead of the whole room or the whole house. So, um, so that's a bunch of different topics related to your right. heat, heat I, experiments. So I, I've got uh, all kinds of stuff that I've advocated for people to save energy, um, a lot of which people, you know, so many people, they say, it's not true. This guy is stupid. This, I mean, I got, boy, you know, you talk about an army of people who hate my guts. Uh, where do they come from? I don't know. But, but the bottom line is like, okay, well, let's compare power bills. And, and, uh, you know, so the power company continues to send stuff out saying the best way to save power is the fluorescent light bulb. And I'm sorry, no. If, if, if I were to switch all of my lights over to fluorescent in my home right now, the, the, the potential savings, if what they even say is true, I might save a dollar per month. Now, the big thing is, is that the incandescent light bulb, at the beginning of, of uh, next year, 2012, the incandescent light bulb, uh, the ones that I use in my home, will no longer be available for sale. So the, the ban doesn't specifically ban those light bulbs. They ban light bulbs that they claim to be inefficient. In the meantime, they don't ban the Hummer. You know, you can still buy a Humvee. <laughs> it, you know, gets really awful mileage. But it, it's like they're saying, oh, it's just like cars. You know how they're kind of saying, you know, car manufacturers have to be this efficient or whatever. And it's kind of like... No, it's not just like they're banning it, and it's like no, this is the the incandescent light bulb puts out a higher. Well, anyway, I could you know what we could probably dedicate five shows to just me ranting about incandescent versus fluorescent. Let's get back to talking about the heat, the heat the, which uh, is which is a significant portion of anybody's power bill. Well, except except the for national the who use uh, wood heat, but right. this is for electric. Right, I mean when, it's, when you look at the gas, stuff. Yeah. There's there's all these charts and graphs and and reports and stuff from the you know the Department of Energy and 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 all these government offices where they're talking about here's how much here's the average usage for homes in the United States for power so they're leaving out the factories and all that stuff that are using gobs of power for other things so let's just focus on the homes and it's like in the homes uh, I believe thirty percent is for heat and um, uh, so I, I want to talk about all the other percentages, but it's like we're running out of time, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to just focus on the heat. Just focus on the heat. All right, so 30% is for electrical heat. Now, granted, there's a lot of people out there that uh, you know are heating their homes with gas or oil or or wood or or, or whatever. You know, they may, corn cobs. Uh, maybe maybe they dry up little gerbils and use those to heat their home. I, I don't, you know, there's all kinds of ways that a person could, oh, solar, solar is a great one. Uh, yeah. Lots of different ways that, that people can heat their home. And and so, but but in the meantime, 30% of the power that's used um, in, in American households is used to heat their homes. And so that means that um, um, for, for a lot of folks, for their that that where heat, where electric heat is the only kind of heat that they have, and they live in a cold climate like Montana, that um, it's possible that that for the for an entire year, probably sixty to seventy percent of their entire electric bill is just for heat. Right. For yeah. those people. Mm-hmm. And then of course, um, other people, zero percent of their electric bill is for heat because they heat their homes with something else. Yeah. All right. And and it's a higher percentage for you because you don't cook. 
I I can fry an egg, and I do. I've fried an egg or two in my day. Yes. And I can fry a steak. I can fry burgers. They don't taste very good. They're they're acceptable. Okay. But you put enough ketchup on anything. But but cooking yeah. is not my forte, yeah. to be sure. Yeah. So you're not using a lot. Of your electric stove. so yeah. I am fortunate that people invite me out to dinner. <laughs> hey, come out to my house and have dinner. Right. Okay. <laughs> then, <laughs> then I get a proper meal. All right. So um, uh, the key is, is that rather than heating the whole house, to heat just myself. And, um, I mean, so that's, that one I think is pretty easy to understand. I mean, it, you know, you, but... Um, I think, I think a lot of people, uh, when I explain this, they talk about, um, uh, all kinds of scenarios where it won't work. And it's, it's true and it's not true. And so the, the first thing to do is in order for people to be able to under, understand a lot of this is to just say, and then I did it. So, um, it's not like I'm toughened up to 50 degrees because that's what I did. So I set the temperature in the house to be 50. And now, if I set the temperature in my house to be 50 and not uh, not 70, and I didn't bother to try and heat myself, that alone would probably eliminate 95% of the heating bill. Um, uh, and and I've got some some charts on uh, on permies that try to explain this and and that kind of thing. And and then, um, but I won't go into a lot of detail now. <clears throat> then the next thing came of like, okay, how do I efficiently heat just myself? Now, when I was doing the, the, the personal heaters and I'm talking about, you know, in a, in a being in a, in a fairly large room, then the, the problem with personal heaters, you put it at your feet and then your, your feet and your legs get too hot. And then your hands and your head are still too cold um, until you've been running it long enough that it ends up just heating the whole room. And um, uh, that's not a really great solution, but it, it is a solution on the right path. I mean, if nothing else, other rooms in the house are not heated. So um, uh, I, I then turned to like, and plus on top of that, this is setting. So this is a heater. This is a personal heater that uh, heats the air. And uh, uh, I believe the setting, the low setting that it has, was 800 watts. Most of those heaters are are 1500 watts and what a lot of people will do is like they'll just turn the heater on to heat all the air in the room and then it's like you really haven't saved anything uh the, the idea is is to heat yourself instead of the room so i turned it down to 700 watts and tried to just heat myself i tried to all kinds of things to try and channel the hot air um to go up my legs up my chest and up to my face and I, and it's like you know i got had relative success and some not success and it was a mixed bag um, but 800 watts, that's still a lot of juice. That's a lot of power. And that, that adds up. So, um, I, I started to, uh, explore alternatives. Uh, and that's where I went with the heating pads at first. The idea being is that, um, if I heat my core and with good circulation, then, um, I'll be able to, um, uh, be comfortable. And, and so by heating my feet and heating my butt, I was able to get to the point where if my room was at 57 or so, I could be comfortable. And, um, but it's like my hands at, would, would become uncomfortable. 
uh, they would get stiff as I, you know, I'm doing all this keyboard work and mouse work and stuff like that. And, and I would get to be uncomfortable. So I, um, started to experiment with ways to keep my hands warm. And the, the great breakthrough was, um, uh, these reptile heaters. And so, um, basically they, they screw into a light socket, uh, and, and they, they have a heating element in it. It's probably a lot like the heating element that's in a light bulb. Only they're covered in ceramic, so it gives off no light. And um, I put those into a desk lamp and then pointed them at the keyboard. And Which that is was radiant heat. So that would be that was that was radiant heat. So yes. it would it's it's uh, um, shining heat on me, but it's totally invisible. Yes. Uh, and <clears throat> that worked really well. Now each one of these reptile heat, I had two of them set up. Over my keyboard, well, well, one was more over the keyboard and one was kind of more over the mouse. And uh, um, each one was 60 watts, so that's 120 watts. Um, I uh, the problem with the uh, the heating pads was that um, they had a timer built in, so they would only stay on for two hours. Jeez. And so about every two hours, suddenly I'd start to feel cold, and I'd realize, oh, the heating pads have probably been off for like five minutes, and I'd have to turn them back on. It would take a couple of minutes until I felt warm again. Yeah. And um so that wasn't really a you know, so that had so while I learned a lot from using the heating pads, uh it wasn't a good long term solution. Um I uh for this winter uh I switched over to um a dog bed heater for my feet and and that was great. And I and I hooked up a kilowatt to that and it uses fifteen watts. Um and uh, um, uh, and then I used I tried using like a car seat heater and and that worked for a couple of months before it died but it was like so cheap I kind of wondered how could it be so cheap and and then it turns out oh there is a reason why it's so cheap oh. because it's crap um, and it died but but then I also found out that um, uh, rather than using the chair heater that if I just had a, a a chair that was well padded because I had, I, I had two office chairs, one that was really well padded and one that had like one of those meshy backs. And, um, if I just stuck with the one that was well padded that it, I, I don't know, it provided like lots and lots of insulation and it wasn't as much of an issue really. So, um, so it's amazing the details you get into when you get into these experiments, you know, down to the, but, you know, adding up the watts of the radiant heater and the heating pads, even if, you know, when you have multiple of those and, and do even have another little disc heater thing, even when you've got four or five of these little contraptions, it's still less watts than a typical personal heater, right? Right. When you're talking of, <clears throat> so, so I, I did the thing with the, um, the, the reptile heaters. So that 60 watts piece, 120 watts for those, plus the dog bed, which was um, uh, 15 watts. And I had a light bulb, an incandescent light bulb over my head providing radiant heat, uh, and it was 100 watts. So um, 220 and 15, uh, 235. Yeah. Um, well, and, and we're almost at the end of our hour, but the, the other math... That you confirmed with someone else. Uh, I know you had a discussion with someone about 
you know, a lot of people have programmable thermostats and the recommendations from the power company is, okay, at night, put it down to 50 and then at the day, bring it up to oh, back up okay. to 70. Hold so, that thought. Yes. Hold that thought. I want to wrap up with, with what I ended up because, okay. Cause that, cause, cause you're right. We went from 800 watts to about 235 watts. Yes. And then I optimized it further. Okay. So I got it down to about 80. Okay. Um, and, and what I did was, is that I replaced the reptile heaters with a heated keyboard, mm. which uses about 25 watts, oh, okay. and a heated mouse, which uses about two and a half watts. Wow. So um, that was a big cut there. And then I optimized my light bulb. I switched out the 100-watt light bulb and replaced it with a 40-watt light bulb, and I moved it closer. Now... It looks crazy at my house where I sit and work. It looks really silly. But on the other hand, I'm thinking that in the long run, I mean, now I've, I've done this work. I've, and hopefully I'm going to get my February bill. I'm going to say 90% on my heating bill. And I'd like to think that somebody's going to come out with an invention that doesn't look nutty or, I don't know, some people will just get used to it. But, and I should probably take a picture of it. Maybe put somebody more attractive than me in my chair <laughs> and then take a picture of that. Uh, but, but then, uh, you know, show how it, how it works. But, but I got it down to about 80 watts. So dog bed heater, light bulb, heated keyboard, heated mouse. I'm pretty sure that's it. Those four things. Okay. And, and on top of that, um, I, uh, uh, have many times, so like where I sit, where my desk is, is right next to a window. And while the thermostat is set to 50, it's like about 10, 12 feet behind me next to um, an interior wall where, you know, things stay a little bit warmer, whereas it's colder where I'm at. And so I've got a thermometer right there um, where at my desk. And um, I've had many, many days where it was 40 degrees in the house at my desk. I'm using 80 watts of personal heaters, approximately 80 watts of personal heaters. And uh, I am perfectly comfortable because I'm heating me instead of the whole house. And I have had a few days where it was 37 degrees, just a little bit above freezing mm -hmm. in my house right there uh, uh, next to uh, uh, that window. And, and now I've got to say that on those 37 degrees, the 80 degree, the 80 watts wasn't cutting it. And, and, um, uh, I did, I like, I ended up turning up the rep, turning on the reptile heaters in addition to the heated keyboard and mouse in order to keep my, my fingers and my face warm. And so I would start to feel it in my nose. My nose would start to get cold and that got, it got cold. It would start to get cold enough that it would become distracting. Like I couldn't really focus on my work because I was feeling distracted. And of course my fingers, they'll get stiff. So now you, what was your point? No, I was just going to bring in uh, that I think most people have the recommendation that they're supposed to turn their heat down at night and then turn it back up during the day, but that there's... Uh... Right. I talked about that in that thread. Okay. Uh, and, and so basically, um, that does give you savings, but not as much savings as you think. Right. And I made some graphs to make my point, but, but it kind of goes like this. Um, uh, when you turn your heat up in the morning... It's like, okay, now I'm going to get out of bed, so I'm going to set up this automated thing, and it's going to put the heat on uh, to, to 70 degrees in the morning, so I am you know, can do all my stuff in the morning. Um, uh, 
you pretty much lost all your savings right there because now the heater is going to come on and then the heater has to work, 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 work for like, you know, 20 minutes to warm the place up enough. Right. As opposed to like, you know, to just keep the place warm throughout the night, it, it might have come on for, um, you know, uh, 25 minutes throughout the night. Right. So, so by doing this, you would think like, oh, well, um, I've, I'm not heating the house 90% of the time, so I'm going to cut my bill by 90%. And it's like, well, no, you actually end up cutting your bill like maybe 15% or 20% right. because you're not heating it for like a lot of the night, but then you're like heating it a whole bunch in the morning. So the, so the changes, the energy changes are energy intensive to create, whereas maintaining a temperature would be much more energy efficient. Uh, I mean, sort of. the, the return on investment is good, yeah. you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, of course, no one's really around to appreciate the warmer air. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what would be what would be better would be to uh, just, you know, set the whole. In fact, I think you'd save a lot more money if you just turn the thermostat down to 65 just, and then had ways to heat yourself personally. So, like, it's right. like, oh, I'm I don't want to go in the bathroom and have it be all cold. Well, if you had like one of those little heat lamps in there, mm-hmm. then, uh, and you, you know, for the, uh, 20 minutes or so that you might be in there, then it'll, you know, warm up that room for that, for that little bit of use. That would be advantageous. I mean, and, and you know what, it, it, this is a whole area where it's really squishy and riddled to the gills with it depends. Um, and there's, there's not a real clear, easy win here. Um, for that stuff, but it's like you know, the, the savings are not not that big. Well, just the idea of switching from heating the air, you know, which is the least efficient, to heating a person, um, and then looking at larger savings instead of piddly savings like with the light bulbs, um, and then plus, you know, you go into that a lot more too with an article about right. compact fluorescence. So that's a whole other topic. But the uh, you know, I, it's it's amazing when you just shift your thinking a little bit. Right. And now, now a lot of people who have already read the, the, this stuff. I mean, there's a lot of comments already in that thread. Um, you know, and, and there's a, there's a lot of holes to poke in it. Like one one person was saying, "Oh, I have three kids, and you know, this doesn't heat my kids." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I get that." On the other hand, you know. Uh, there's a, a lot of people where, and this is like, I found myself in this situation where I happen to be in a house for, for a little while, for one winter, where it's only electric heat, and, and I could conduct these tests and prove some points that I needed to prove. Um, however, you know, with this knowledge, and, you know, now we can start transitioning into a lot of different areas where it's like, okay, how can we save more heat for different people? Frankly, I think um, it would be good to get away from electric heat. Sure, it seems like really clean heat, but all the pollution is far, far away. I, I think, you know, as we examine this closer, we should move more towards rocket mass heaters or Wafati type stuff, the annualized thermal inertia right. stuff. Right. That's, yeah, that's that's a whole bigger space. And even here in the Northwest, I thought we had fairly clean electricity, and I found out that wasn't the case as oh. much. Yeah, I used to work for the uh, Northwest Power Planning Council, and, and it's kind of like uh, uh, when you... Um, uh, talk about uh, uh, hydro, which here in the Pacific Northwest, it's mostly hydro, and uh, how clean Only it is. Only forty percent. 
It's actually only 40%. Wow. I thought it was a lot wow. higher than that. But yeah. yeah. But even hydro, I mean, there's all kinds. Of, I mean, they've almost eliminated certain fish species. And and there's areas where there's, there used to be fish, and there's no fish at all because there's a dam there. The fish can't get back up. Yeah. None. None. And and then, uh, so there's that whole impact. I mean, right now, there are 20 times less fish in rivers and streams than there were 100 years ago. 20 times. I mean, that just seems really wrong. Uh, the other thing is, is silt is building up behind all the dams. And they're, they're like... It's gonna, it's gonna totally plug the dam. It's gonna not, it's gonna totally stop working unless we, so now it's like we've gotta have this silt mitigation effort in order to be able to just. Talk about energy intensive. Yeah, whoa, (laughs) man, this is, that's interesting. How are they gonna fix that? Look. I mean, the Columbia River is just so massive. How are they going to remove that much silt? I mean, you get your biggest, I don't know, uh, track hoe out there with the biggest bucket possible. It looks like just a teeny tiny little speck. And then, and then the water coming by is so massive. How are they going to do this? Um, so, all right. Uh, um, hey, look at that. We did more than an hour. We did. And, and put a lot of things off to discuss later. Oh, geez. I, I think just on this topic of the heating, of just my experiment, uh, I think that there's like five times more to convey with just heat than right. what, what I've conveyed during this podcast. Maybe people will post more questions uh, for the podcast in the Tinkering Forum in that one thread that you started where it's saying, what, what questions do you have for Paul? And then we could do another show on that. Now, I, I want to talk just a little bit, and I know we're running over time, but it doesn't really matter in a way. Uh, we are about to go on one of our expeditions that we've done before. And so for my video collection, you've appeared in a lot of these videos because I'm holding the camera and, and you're there. And we're doing another one. And that's the big event this week. We are going to, <clears throat> uh, uh, we're in the Seattle area now. We're going to head south. Uh, we're going to stop and see Rick Valley uh, at Lost Valley Educational Center. Yes. And, uh, and I, I, well, I've, I've got like uh, eight different things I want to talk to him about. And then we've been... Only in, eight? I, that, that I can think of right now. Right. I'm sure that right. as we're there, I, I'll right. come up with like, a, you know, a dozen more. Um, and then the, the, the big one, the highlight of the whole trip is that we're going to be, we've been invited to the Rocket Mass Heater Researchers Gathering. And it's more than that. They're going to talk a lot about Cobb masonry um, heaters as well this, this time around. With, it, it, at Cobb Cottage Company, also known as Cobbville. Which is right next door to the homestead, another eco-village uh, that, that we've got lots of video footage of. And I'm sure right. they've done tons more stuff. I just can't help but think right. that it's like a video fiesta. I, I, I need to buy more batteries or something. I, I you know, there's just not enough. I mean, the amount of time we're going to be there is so short. There's just yeah. no way to record. I mean, yeah. I'll get enough footage for like videos for the next year, just on our one visit. There's, there's so many things that are going on. Well, there. and we're going, going to dash out and visit a couple other people on the way too. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to go see Larry Korn, who, uh, was an intern for Masanobu Fukuoka. And he, uh, he translated one straw. The one straw revolution. He, he did the translation, and um, uh, and plus he's he's a permaculture instructor, and uh, he just has lots of knowledge. And man, what a Zen guy! Yeah, it's like uh, boy, you just feel peaceful talking to him, and he's got so much knowledge. It's just great. 
Then um, we're also going to go down and visit a farm in the very northern edge of California. Um, and, and so one of our Permis users, Marina, um, uh, has a farm, and, and she's uh, posted several things and pictures about what she's doing. Amazing stuff. And so she's got a holster-like uh, uh, pig structure that she's built, and I want to get uh, um, pictures and video of that. She's got a rocket mass heater, uh, which she uh, you know is doing some hot water stuff with, and and you know. Uh, I think a good video to get at the rocket mass heater uh, uh, gathering is like, okay, why do we not want to touch hot water? I mean, it's very dangerous. Lots of opportunity to, to, to die <laughs> for everything to blow up. Um, uh, steam is a powerful element, uh, so don't don't make anything contained. But but Marina did a very simple thing that that eliminates all of that danger. And, and she's able to fill a bathtub with hot water using a rocket mass heater. Um, and, and she's got so much other stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, and then on the way back, um, hopefully, uh, I just sent out emails this morning. Um, it's possible we might be able to spend some time with Jacqueline Freeman, who's in several of my videos, uh, the most important one being the colony collapse disorder video. Yeah. So, and Jacqueline and Joseph are awesome people too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's always, and I just love staying at their farm. It's just, you know, because, because, you know, they've gone to so much trouble to really make it not just a beautiful place, but like my kind of beautiful. I mean, a lot of people you go to and it's all frou frou fancy, and but, but it's like, uh, I don't know, they, they might have, to me, it's like, it's, it's a kind of vidi, uh, kind of beauty that resonates well with me, right? And I really like going there, right. So um, hopefully, because uh, ho- hopefully they'll have us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we, uh, we we just asked this morning, haven't heard back. But but they're on the road, and and we may run out of time too. You know, we were packing a lot into four days. But oh yeah, this is going to be uh, a super trip. Yeah. All right. So, uh, um, anything else? That's as much as we can pack in this morning, I think. Yep, we're already over an hour. So, uh, there. Whoa. Ah, number one. <laughs> Gosh, <right>. yeah, sweet. <laughs> All right. So, uh, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about energy conservation and homesteading and permaculture all the time.